Well, it's good to be uh, with you guys this morning. Uh, just over uh, a week ago, Angela and Haven and I were back, headed back into town. We'd been gone for a couple weeks. Uh, several weeks in July, we were out of town just enjoying vacation, enjoying like a different pace, a uh, different movement in our lives, just resting. And I want to say thanks to Melvin and Lexi and then Jessica who uh, preached and taught while I was gone. Uh, I, I was able to watch those online and they did a great job. And I'm just so thankful that God's word was continued, uh, continually shared together as a community. And I also want to say thanks to Kathy and uh, Karen and Jim and Sabrina who were our care team while I was out of town. So as prayer requests came in, as uh, needs became, uh, uh, we became aware of needs in the church, those four and others were would respond and reach out and pray and help. And so I'm really thankful for the great care team that was around. I don't know about you guys, one of the favorite things about vacation, one of the favorite things about vacation is the road trip itself. You know, packing up a suitcase, filling a cooler with snacks, getting up early on a morning with some coffee and jumping in the car and hitting the road. There's something about being on the highway and as the miles tick off, it's like a little bit more of me starts to rest and relax and kind of enter into, we're going to have a different kind of week uh, away from the busyness of life. I just love the road trip. Some of you guys might hate the road trip, but that's one of the things I really enjoy. One of my favorite memories when my kids were little was the road trip we would take from Minnesota all the way down to Colorado Springs. We would do that twice a year to see family. It's about 18 hours, about a thousand miles, and I loved it. I loved being on the road with the kids and just heading off to something new. And when you have little kids, some of you know this, when you have little kids, there's something you have to do as you're driving along the highway. As you stop and you pull into that, that lovely building with the golden arches, there's, uh, there's something that you have to buy. Anybody know what you have to buy for your kids when you stop there? The Happy Meal, yes. I actually brought a Happy Meal with me this morning. We all know the Happy Meal. It promises all of us moms and dads that our kids are gonna have fun and food and fatty acids. It's gonna be you know, an amazing experience. And, and uh, it's called Happy Meal because it's guaranteed that your child will be happy, that they will experience just a happiness unlike any other kind of happiness. Uh, you know, we would stop and pick these up. I'd order three at the, at the desk, and it was, my, it was a way of saying, like, let's get this party started for my kids. And we would dig into the Happy Meal. Of course, happiness never lasted as long as you wanted it to with the Happy Meal. After a few minutes, uh, someone would borrow a French fry from someone else, or they would see the toy they got and want the toy that the other person got, and they'd get upset. Uh, I stopped by McDonald's last night, and I ordered a Coke, and I said, can I get a Happy Meal box? And they looked at me a little funny. And, uh, but they gave me the Happy Meal box, and then they also gave me toys. They offered me toys. So I've got three toys. Anybody want a Happy Meal toy this morning? Anyone out there want a toy? Don't let it hit you, okay? This is going to hurt. This might hurt. I got one more. Who wants a Happy Meal toy? <laughs> All right, I didn't quite get there, but uh, yeah, a Happy Meal. It promises us this great, happy experience. Um, and, and what's funny is, like, we know it's not going to last. As parents, you know, I continued to buy them, knowing that they weren't really going to bring the happiness I was hoping for. I mean, did, did a Happy Meal ever bring your child eternal joy? Anyone? No, no, it doesn't. But, but we enjoy them. What's, what's great, though, is that as adults, we, uh, we grow out of the need for a Happy Meal, right? We grow out of that need. We, sometime in our 20s, I think it happens, when suddenly just this sense of contentment settles on us. And we no longer long for anything more as adults. We just are at perfect rest and contentment with all that we have. 
Uh, I'm being sarcastic. I hope you're picking up on that. Uh, we do still pursue happiness. It's just the Happy Meals start to cost more money, don't they? And the toys get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. But we continue to sometimes buy into that lie that there's happiness just one purchase away. And it's just, it's not true. We're bombarded every day with this, this simple um, announcement, this simple message that your life could be better and you're one purchase away from that better life. Every day, every angle we're hit with this message, your life is not all that it could be. And it could be something so much greater if you would just buy this one thing. That's what we're told every day. Buy this, use this, eat this, wear me, try me, drive me, put me in your hair, and all the happiness of the world will be yours. This summer, we've been talking about wisdom, our search for wisdom, and we've, we've said how wisdom, often the search for wisdom is a question that we ask, and it's something like, why did I do that? What was I thinking? That's a cry for wisdom when we say those things. When it comes to finances, the question might sound something like, why did I buy that? Or where does all the money go? That, that's a cry for wisdom around our finances. A greater understanding of reality. A, 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 great, a deeper connection with those around us and with our creator God. We all want wisdom. We just don't always know where to find it. And we've, we've defined wisdom this summer as knowledge applied to life experience. Knowledge applied to life experience. So if we want to grow in our wisdom, we either need to increase our knowledge or increase our life experience. Often we're, we're taken into new things, new understandings, new experiences to help. God does that to stretch our understanding. He moves us into uncomfortable places that we might grow in our ability to have wisdom and to see God moving in new territory. In the Old Testament, there's a, a writer we often come across when it comes to the wisdom writing of the Old Testament. The third king of Israel, a man named Solomon, and he wrote uh, much of the Proverbs. He wrote several of the Psalms. He wrote all of the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Song of Solomon. And the Bible, um, we read about Solomon's story. And God came to young Solomon as he began, began to lead the people of Israel and said to Solomon, uh, what is it you want me to do for you? God said, I will give you anything you would ask for. What is it you want? I mean, talk about a happy meal, right? God gave Solomon this invitation to the greatest happy meal he could ask for. And Solomon looked at God and said, I would like to have wisdom, wisdom to lead your people, wisdom to know how to rule over this nation. And God was pleased with his requests because Solomon asked for the good of the people, not just his own personal good, but for the good of others. So God said, I'm, I'm going to give you that wisdom, but I'm also going to give you everything else you might have asked for. I'm going to give you power and fame and wealth. I'm going to bring it all to you because you asked for wisdom. It reminds me of what in the New Testament, when Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. And sometimes we think that that's saying that wealth and power, all that will be given to us as well, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was saying that we would have a sense of rest, a sense of peace in the midst of our anxious lives, that, that we would have a sense of God's presence with us. That's what Jesus promised. But for Solomon, God said, I'm going I'm to give you everything else you could have asked for. And Solomon had more than anyone else alive at the time. He had uh, incredible wealth. In fact, he would throw parties. And one day, one day's food was about uh, 30 cows, 100 sheep, 500 bushels of flour. That's what one day's party food for, for King Solomon. I don't even know what a bushel of flour is. I mean, I just have this image of like a sack of flour, somebody trying to pick up like this, you know, this heavy sack of 500 bushels 
of flour for his parties. He threw these great parties. He surrounded himself with parks and vineyards and gardens and houses. He built a palace for himself. Listen to this about his, this blows my mind. His palace, it was built by 150,000 people and it took 13 years for 150,000 people to build his house. It was a nice place, all right? (laughs) Solomon had a nice home. Can you imagine the HR department for 150,000 construction workers? He liked music so much that he would have his own little private orchestra at meals when they would sit down to eat. His power and fame and wealth attracted people from all over the world. They came to hear his wisdom, to see him, to understand who is this person I keep hearing about. Solomon was married over seven, oh, 700 times he got married. You know what that tells me? That even the wisest person can be a relational train wreck, all right? He got married 700 times. Solomon once said in in Ecclesiastes chapter two, Solomon wrote these words. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Even the wisest person can act foolishly. We know that's, why would you do that? Why, that is such a foolish way to live, to not learn constraint, boundaries, restrict restrict yourself in some ways. But Solomon says, "I I denied myself nothing. That's just foolishness. I want to read another passage from the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you've got your Bible with you and you want to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in the Old Testament, or you can take your your Bible app on your phone, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 10 through 15. And, And towards the end of Solomon's life, he's lived a life of excess, of extravagance, And towards the end of his life, he writes this book called Ecclesiastes, which means the the words of the teacher, the gathering of the teacher. And he wrote them down, and basically his theme in there is that this is all meaningless, meaningless, all this that we see on earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Let me just read, and you can follow along. Solomon writes, Anyone who loves money never has enough. Anyone who loves wealth is never satisfied with what he gets. That doesn't have any meaning either. It's meaningless, he says, meaningless. As more and more goods are made, more and more people use them up. So how can those goods benefit the owner? All he can do is look at them with longing. The sleep of a worker is sweet. It doesn't matter whether he eats a little or a lot, but the wealth of a rich man keeps him awake. Now, um, you have to know that Solomon's speaking about himself there in verse 12. When he says the wealth of a rich man keeps him awake at night, he's saying, I, I'm not sleeping well, people. That's what Solomon's saying to us. All that I have, all, the more and more we have, when you, when you have much to lose, you have much to worry about. And Solomon says, I, I'm just not sleeping well. Verse 13, he says, I've seen something very evil on earth. It's when wealth is stored up and then brings harm to its owner. It's also when wealth is lost because of an unwise business deal. Then there won't be anything left for the owner's son. As a man of great wealth, great evil to him looked like when money was not used well, when wealth was lost and it didn't need to be lost. And then verse 15, a man is born naked. He comes into the world with nothing and he goes out of it with nothing. He doesn't get anything from his work that he can take with him. We don't take it with us. That's what Solomon's saying. There's no bags checked. There's no carry-ons when it comes to heaven. Everything is left behind. For Solomon, this is frustrating. For a man of great wealth, trying to understand the love of money, the use of money, the lack of money, all of that, it's just frustrating to him. And maybe that's exactly where God wanted Solomon to be at the end of his life. 
frustrated about wealth. Maybe that's sometimes where God might want us to be when we talk about pursuing wisdom and pursuing wealth. Maybe God wants us to be frustrated at times about that. There's a passage right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, when the first people on planet broke relationship with God, and there were consequences because of that brokenness in their relationship with their creator, God. So in Genesis 3, we read that God said to the first man, God said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a Sorry, my, oh, there it is, okay. I'm gonna try to catch my mic when it goes out, but just. Check, okay. I'm gonna put it in the front, see if that helps. So at the end of that Genesis 3 passage, it says, all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from the earth. That, that idea of scratching a living, that's frustration. That's that, this idea that it is frustrating at times to live life. I think about you students heading back to school Pretty soon, a couple weeks, you're going to be back in school, and that homework, it's going to be frustrating. You've got to do homework. Some of your friendships over the summer, they'll have changed, and they won't feel the same as you go back into school. It's going to be frustrating trying to figure out these friendships. I think about adults who are working, many of us who are working jobs. Every one of us, we have a job, and there's a part of our job that's frustrating, kind of irritate. It's not fun. It doesn't, we don't understand it. It bothers us. Even those who are retired, I've had a lot of retired friends. And they talk about how fun it is not to be having to go to the daily grind of an everyday job, but they still have frustrations in their life. A lot of times it's around the physical limitations and things that change for them. I had a friend, a retired friend once say to me, Nate, you know, you know you're getting old when you wake up in the morning and somehow you hurt yourself while you were sleeping. Like, that's, that's when you know you're getting old. He's, he was frustrated by that. There's frustrations in our lives. And frustration can move us in powerful ways. When we're frustrated, we often want to make a change. We want to do something different. We want to experience a different kind of reality. Frustration can move us. Paul, Paul wrote about this frustration in Romans chapter 8. That was the sound of frustration right there. Did you hear it? <laughs> Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, Creation was subjected to frustration, but not by its own choice. The one who subjected it to frustration did so in the hope that, that would also be set free, that we would also be set free from slavery to decay in order to share the glorious freedom that the children of God will have. Paul says that there is one who frustrated us. God frustrated us, and he did it with the hope that we would move beyond this life of decay and that instead we would pursue a life of hope, a glorious freedom, Paul says, that God created us for. God will allow the world to fall into frustration with the hope that it would not settle for what we see and feel and experience in our everyday lives, but that we would seek something greater, that we would look for the kingdom of God. God's hope was that frustration would one day cause the wandering daughter, the wandering son to stop digging around in the pig slop looking for food and instead say, I'm frustrated. I might as well head back home. And they would begin that journey back to their father, God, their creator. In this way, frustration really is a gift from God for us. It's, it's really a, a way, a form of God's love that helps to release us from the trivial pursuits of our life for a greater freedom, a greater reality. If you think about it, one of Jesus' most effective teaching methods 
was when he said he, he taught something that couldn't be understood. He gave assignments that could not be completed or asked questions that couldn't be answered. He caused this frustration in his followers that they would pursue something greater, that they would look for new knowledge or new experiences that would expand their understanding of God, their understanding of wisdom and reality. You know, sometimes when we get frustrated, we get to this point where we say this word and sometimes we yell it out Sometimes we say it quietly in our hearts, but it's this word enough. That's enough. It's all I can handle. It's enough. It's enough. You know, we say a word, that word enough when we get to a place of frustration. Enough is also a solution to our constant pursuit of more stuff and more money. When we can understand that what we have is enough, that what God has provided for us is enough, when we can find contentment, that word enough still applies it's interesting that it's a word of frustration and a word of contentment. In Proverbs 30, we read the words of a writer named Agar, and uh, we only encounter him in this one Proverbs chapter 30. It's the only time his name's mentioned, so we don't know much about him. But he starts by saying that he's not wise, which in some ways is a concession that true wisdom requires. And then he goes into writing Psalm 30. In verses 8 and 9, he writes these words, O oh God, don't make me either rich or poor, but give me only the bread I need each day. If you don't, I might have too much. And then I would say, I don't know you. I might even say, who is the Lord? When I've got all, more than I need, I'm not dependent on anything else. I might forget that there is a creator God out there. And then he says, or I might become poor and steal. And then I would bring shame to the name of my God. This is Agar's way of saying, Lord, let me be content with what I have. Let me find a way that just what I have today, that is all that I need, and help me to be content in that. I think that kind of contentment is a solution to our frustration. In the second half of the Bible, Paul would write to his friends in Philippi, and he said this, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content in every situation. What does that tell us? That we can learn how to be content. It's, it's a skill that we can acquire, that we can grow in. Paul is saying, if you're tired of the frustration about finances, about having enough, he says, there's exercises, there's routines that you can engage with that would help you grow in your ability to be content, to be at peace with all that you have. The solution is not one more purchase. The solution might be one more practice, one more habit that we can grow in. There's a monastery where you can stay with the monks. You can kind of step out of normal life and, and enter into a different kind of pace and slow life down for a few days. And when they greet you, they show you to your room and they say, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we hope that your stay with us will be a blessed one. And if you have a need for anything, let us know and we'll teach you how to live without it. If you have a need for anything, let us know. We'll show you that you can live without it. We can learn how to live with what we have, with less maybe than what we think. We can rest in all that God has given us. And, and one of the ways to grow in this journey towards contentment is to get a little perspective. So I want to give you a little perspective right now as we're getting close to the end um, that might help us grow in our ability to be content. A lot of times we just compare ourselves to what we see on TV. We compare ourselves to what we see in our neighborhood, maybe what we see in our friends' social media posts. We compare the, our life to their life. And I want to help us uh, step back a little bit. And let's take more of a global view. And let's compare ourselves globally and see that we have so much compared to so many other places in the world. You know, in the United States, we make up 5% of the world's population. 
but we consume 25% of the world's resources. We consume more than any other nation in the world, even though there are other nations that have a greater population. We are a rich nation. Do you have uh, running water in your apartment or at your house? I want to show you some, some graphics here that just kind of make some, some of these for us. Two billion people don't have a stable source of clean water or of reliable food resources. In other words, when you stand up in your living room and walk to your kitchen and pour yourself a glass of water, two billion people in the world look at you and say, must be nice. Man, look at how much you have. When you go to your refrigerator and open it up and there's food inside your refrigerator, two billion people in the world say, man, I can't imagine what that feels like to know you're going to have dinner tonight. These two billion people, they may not be starving, but they're not sure if they're going to eat today or where their next meal is coming from. We... We are, a, we are a wealthy nation. Let me give you a couple more here. I've got uh, $2 in my pocket. Anybody want it? No, I'm just joking. I've got $2 in my pocket. Three billion people live on $2 a day or less. That's their daily wage. Three billion people, they live on $2 or less. Just to give us a little bit more perspective about that. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just think about your yearly salary. Okay, if you make $40,000 a year or more, you realize you're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. $40,000 a year, 1%, 2%, 3%, you're in the top 3% wealthiest. You are a wealthy person if you make $40,000 a year or more. Now, I know there's a cost of living in America that's different than other nations, but just think about that. We are wealthy people. I have one more I want to share with you. and This is some statistics from uh, World Vision and uh, in the United Nations, actually, that we could end w- world poverty with $175 billion. That would uh, provide the basic needs for every person on the face of this planet, the food, the shelter, the clothing that they need, $175 billion. Last year, Americans spent $175 billion on coffee alone. Now, I don't say these things to make you feel guilty. You might feel guilty, but that's, not why, that's really not why I'm, I'm sharing these things with you. I don't have a, I'm not trying to promote a certain economic theory or, or ideology. My hope is that we can get some perspective on all that we have, on the wealth that we do have available to us as Americans. How we approach money says a lot about our lives, what's going on inside of us all the resources that God has placed around our lives, how we use them says a lot about what's going on inside of us. And scripture encourages us to grow in our contentment, to grow in our ability to be content with what we have. Jesus once said these words. He said, do not put away riches for yourself on earth. Moths and rust can destroy them. Thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, put away riches for yourself in heaven. Their moths and rust do not destroy. Their thieves do not break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your riches are. And then a few moments later, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters at the same time. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be faithful to one and dislike the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. You must choose which you will serve. Wisdom tells us that money is not a good master. It is a limited master that surrenders to the ravages of time, to the will of others, to the finite realities of our world. 
Instead, Jesus encourages us to serve God who loves and provides and protects and will never leave us or abandon us in this life or the next. And God says to us, stop looking for your ultimate understanding of reality. Stop looking for your joy in the finite things around you. You're not going to find infinite joy in a finite thing. Proverbs says, the book of wisdom says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, remember him and he will make your paths smooth and straight. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Now it can be difficult to trust God with all of our hearts. We can't see God. We don't always hear from him. He's a mystery to us. He allows hardship in our life and sometimes that just doesn't feel right to us. There's days when the path of our life doesn't seem smooth and straight from our perspective. But Jesus is concerned about our hearts. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So where is your treasure? What is the thing you value in this world, in this life? What is it you pursue with your life? Wh where do you go for your treasure hunts? Where, do you, where are you looking for value and wealth? Is it with God, the kingdom of God, the reality that you are created, that you are a son, you are a daughter of the creator God? Is that the prize that your life points toward? Or are, is your heart just infected with this unquenchable desire for more? And, and God is saying, I want to help you grow in contentment. We choose how we will live, and we live by faith. Again, it's a mystery how God operates in this world, but I'm so thankful that Jesus came to earth, put on flesh, that we might see how God would live this life. We might see how God would treat others, how God would speak. Those who followed Jesus wrote down, 2,000 years ago, they wrote down what they experienced, what they saw, so that we would have an understanding of this is what God would do. This is how God would speak. This is what God looked like when he walked the earth. So it's not a complete mystery to us. I'm so thankful for that. This morning, we want to take time and just remind ourselves that, that, God, that Jesus has done all that's required for us to know God, to be in relationship with God, that Jesus is enough so that we might be in relationship with our creator. We